Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. The executive order directs HHS to identify ways to expand access to reproductive health services. Expanding access to abortion. President Joe Biden signs a radical executive order calling for more abortions in America, despite the overturn of Roe v. Wade. We take a look at what this order means with Maggie Beecher of the Napa Legal Institute and Sue Liebel of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. We also discuss how big tech is ganging up on women. Halting abortions. A priest in New York successfully closed down a New York Planned Parenthood abortion center for two hours before being arrested. Father Fidelis Machinsky of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal has been released and joins us to discuss how he locked the gates of the abortion facility with chains. Peddling for the unborn. The pro-life organization Biking for Babies has taken on its yearly long-distance cycling mission to raise awareness and funds for pregnancy resource centers. Biking for Babies executive director Nikki Bees and Chris Massaro, director of mission advancement, joins us to discuss this year's national ride. President Biden signed an executive order last week on Friday aimed at keeping abortion prevalent throughout America. The executive order directs HHS to identify ways to expand access to reproductive health services, like IUDs, birth control pills, emergency contraception. And equally important, this executive order protects patient privacy and access to information. This action comes as Biden continues to criticize the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. He has made it clear that he is committed to the killing of unborn babies. In his executive order, Biden, a baptized Catholic, is allowing HHS to take additional action to expand access to chemical abortion drugs and contraception. The order also calls for the preservation of mobile clinics, which have been deployed to bordering pro-life states. What's more, it even calls for an interagency task force so that all of Biden's federal agencies can work together to kill more babies. Sue Liebel, state policy director at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, joins me now to unpack all of this. Sue, thanks for joining me. Talk to me about the lengths President Biden has gone to on abortion. Have we ever seen a president that is so bent on this issue? You know, I've been thinking, I knew I was going to be coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And I've been trying to think of a response to that. I have no words. Uh, it's almost like the president of the United States has, States has declared war on women. Uh, abortion is a, a is a harm to women. It is not a help to women. It's, a, it's a so disingenuous and it's downright dangerous, in my opinion. Right. And this executive order goes as far as claiming that the reversal of Roe versus Wade will, quote, disproportionately affect women of color, low income women and rural women. Could you respond to just the absurdity of that claim? Well, the irony of that claim is what gets me, because it, it actually has been the president and his friends in the extreme abortion industry that have targeted women of color and low-income women. They advertise in their neighborhoods. They um, disproportionately try to sell them abortions. And hey, don't don't kid yourself. This is about the money. Follow the money. Yeah. But. So what, what, what they're doing now is they've relaxed the standards on those dangerous uh, RU-46 medical abortion pills, and now he's going to put the full force of government to bring that harm back to women, including disproportionately women of color and low-income women. And um, it's, it's, it must be uh, open season 
on these women who are 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 victims are going to be victims of this uh, aggressive approach yes it's sad yes sue and i want to talk to you about chemical abortion too because this order also calls for expanding access to these drugs you know this issue very well now that roe versus wade is overturned are states enacting any measures to safeguard women from the host of risks that they're about to be opened up to that's uh, you know the irony of this is that it, in with roe versus wade they wanted abortion to be safe, rare, and legal, and now they're just basically handing those pills through the, uh, th through the internet and through telemedicine like they're candy. Um, and they're, it's just so dangerous. The FDA has already relaxed those regs, and now they're going to push them out. States are, uh, states are enacting uh, lots of restrictions on the pills. In fact, one of the things the states are doing is they're going back to what the FDA used to do in terms of protecting women's health and safety with required medical exams. You have to rule out pre-existing conditions or these drugs could be very harmful to women. Um, ruling out dangerous um, uh, situations like ectopic pregnancy or something like that where there's a, a different treatment that's not the pills. Mm. So this puts women at greater risk. States are rushing to shore that up um, even states that uh, would be banning abortion, oh, pardon me, banning abortion after Roe still understand that women are getting these pills. They're pushing them on their phone, advertising on their phones, on college campuses, whatever, and um, emergency room visits are going up. Mm. And so we still have to keep our eye on the ball to protect women's health and safety, and states are doing that. Yeah, it's good to know that states are doing that. And Sue, what can you tell us about what's going on on Capitol Hill right now, if we could just shift gears for a moment? So many committees, especially in the Pelosi-controlled House, are really doubling down on abortion. Even the Committee on Energy and Commerce is holding a hearing on abortion. Why? Well, actually, they're five, they're just losing their minds. There are five uh, committees on abortion this week in, in Congress alone. And just this week. Um, so they're really doubling down on this. Uh, the Energy and Commerce Committee, actually, it, it seems uh, counterintuitive, but that is where a lot of health-related policy goes. So that's not that big of a surprise. But what it what you, you point out, though, and I hope your viewers see, is they'll go to any committee, any, and Biden has established an interagency task force in the administration. In Congress, they're going to all the different committees they can. This is a full-out press, a full-out war on on women, in my opinion, to get abortion in every nook and cranny they can and with the with the tools that they have in Congress and in the administration. Mm. Well, Sue Liebel of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. As Biden continues setting in motion his whole-of-government response to Roe's overturn, the tech industry and the media are falling in line right behind him. The algorithms seem to be totally in favor of abortion recently, with many normal people going about their days often bombarded with pro-abortion articles and ads. The New York Times has a whole section dedicated to reporting on the so-called crisis of losing Roe, and in some instances, minors are being instructed on how to obtain abortions behind their parents' backs. Joining now is Maggie Beecher, senior counsel at the Napa Legal Institute. Maggie, thanks so much for coming and joining me in the studio today. Let's talk about this and specifically big tech censorship. You know, we've mentioned on the show before many times that the media and apps, you know, often censor the pro-life message and push forward dangerous pro-abortion messaging. And I understand Napa Legal has a new scorecard to really track all of this. Could you speak to me about that? 
Yes, absolutely, Prudence. This is not a new problem. Um, in the beginning of 2021, our organization realized that pro-life and faith-based organizations were being deplatformed mm. at a rate of about one per week. Um, and for a small nonprofit, a deplatforming like that can really interrupt your mission. Right. It can distract from the people you're trying to serve. And even if you're ultimately restored, in these cases, the process is the punishment. So we saw that with the Susan B. Anthony list getting deplatformed from TikTok the day of the Dobbs decision. Yes, they were later restored, but the damage was done. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you recently spoke at a seminar, Maggie, where you talked about the internet stack. You know, the fact that the whole online apparatus, not just these apps, are against pro-life groups. Could you explain what the internet stack is and, and how that plays into this problem? Yes, yeah, so the internet stack, it does have a technical meaning, but when we talk about it in everyday conversation and in this context, it really refers to the fact that the internet and services like apps are made up of layers of technologies that are all interdependent. And a deplatforming at any one of these layers can have a domino effect for an organization. Hmm. So that could be payment processing, domain name hosting, like we saw with Texas Right to Life, um, web servers, this whole interdependent web of services that um, form the present-day communication system. It's very concerning. And even the White House is in on this, Maggie. For example, they're telling women that they shouldn't use apps that track their menstrual cycles because later that data could be used for people to find out that they're seeking abortions and penalize them for it. And yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Let's take a listen. And one of the things that HHS did just last week was as part of this website and also made public in other ways is literal instructions, practical instructions of how to delete certain apps um, that are on your phone um, so that if you want to protect yourself, you have the ability to do that. Now, that was Jennifer Klein. She's the co-chair and executive director of the White House Gender Policy Council. What did you make of her comments? Well, what I'm seeing here is that two of the three elements of what is called the golden triangle of government, business, and the civil society are falling in line and uniting their power to oppose, um, oppose protections for unborn life. So what that means to me is that the bottom line is pro-life organizations, nonprofits need to be even more, um, even more diligent and even more passionate about getting the truth out there and serving the women and children. As, as is needed at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Maggie, we all use the internet each and every day for our lives, you know, to pay our bills, to buy groceries. People are using it for literally everything now. So how do we, who are pro-life people, you know, practically protect ourselves from the media that's just against us and against our way of life and what we believe? Yes, so Prudence, I think there's a practical dimension to that as well as a mission dimension to that. Mm. The practical dimension is awareness, understanding, and preparation. So be aware that these deplatformings are taking, taking place, understand where they're coming from, and then prepare yourself that if you do depend on a particular technology, have a game plan for what you'll do if that's interrupted. Mm. But then at the end of the day, what's even more important is remembering your mission. What is this really about? This is really about the truth. This is about serving women. This is about protecting children. And so even if we do have these hiccups, these interruptions in technology services, what really matters is that we stay true to that mission underneath all of that. That's a very good reminder. And Maggie, before we let you go, I just wanted to get your thoughts as well on this recent executive order that President Biden signed, really just expanding abortion in a radical way. You know, it's almost impossible to believe that this man once supported the Hyde Amendment. What do you think about, about where he has gone? Faith-based organizations and, and pro-life nonprofits need to be free to operate in a way that's consistent with this life ethic. 
And so we've seen from, from the beginning of the Biden administration a willingness to kind of erode these rights over time. Mm -hmm. So what I think the initiative that, that pro-life people should be thinking about is how to participate in um, the federal notice and comment process, which is a, an opportunity for the public to weigh in on proposed regulations before they're even finalized. And so we need to educate the administration about the truth of life and, and step forward before, before things are finalized to protect the, the pro-life movement mm -hmm. and to protect the lives. Yes, that's very insightful. Thank you so much for joining us, Maggie Beecher of Napa Legal. Thank you. On the morning of July 7th, Father Fidelis Machinsky was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct when he successfully stopped a New York abortion clinic from operating for two hours. He was released later that day. Father Fidelis used industrial locks and chains to keep the entrance gates of the facility closed. The fire department had to use a saw to cut through the chains. When they were successful in opening the gates, Father Fidelis laid down in front of the entrance, continuing to stop pregnant mothers and staff from entering the clinic. Father Fidelis Machinsky, a Franciscan friar of the Renewal, joins us now. Father, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us what moved you to carry out this rescue all on your own and what happened to you that day? Well, the main motivation was to try to keep that Planned Parenthood closed for as long as possible so that I would have an opportunity uh, to talk to uh, the mothers who were coming in that morning. And, you know, the reason I was acting on my own was I didn't want to get anyone else implicated or involved in uh, a possible violation of federal or state law, which could potentially have some uh, severe consequences. Mm. And I read that there were police who arrived before the fire department came to unlock the gates and that they did not immediately work to unlock the gates which would allow abortions to resume, were you able to have a conversation with those officers who were the first on the scene? No, I wasn't. Um, I, I think they weren't able to do anything because I, I had placed six locks and chains in different places on the gates, and they simply realized they, they weren't able to do anything about it at that time. Mm, I see. And you have been arrested several times for participating in nonviolent rescues like this one, and you're not the only person who has responded to abortion in this way. How do you respond to people who think that your way of defying abortion, trying to end abortion, goes a step too far? Well, I would respond by simply asking, uh, imagine if you were one of those children scheduled to be executed that day, would you not want every possible effort to be made to save your life? And saying that something is a step too far is simply saying, well, some lives are less valuable than others. We could sacrifice only up to a point and then we'll let these others die. Mm. So that's how I would respond. I see. I appreciate your perspective on that. And we've also seen your picture, Father, come across the pages of newspapers like the New York Times, other mainstream pro-abortion, frankly, media outlets. You're often standing in the midst of people who are very hostile to you. And in some instances, you've even been spit on. People have smoked in your face. What motivates you to keep going out into the streets? Well, those photos are probably from our uh, monthly Witness for Life uh, in New York City, both in, uh, in Brooklyn and in Manhattan. And there's a group here uh, called New York City for Abortion Rights, and they try to block our rosary procession, which we have after we celebrate mass 
and we walk to the nearby abortion place. And the motivation is simply to shine a light into the darkness where that evil is occurring through our prayer and our public witness. And the motivation is simply love for Christ, love for the mothers and their children. And those prayers surely will strengthen us in, in our fight. And for those of us who don't live in New York, Father, what is the current landscape of abortion laws there? Tell us what the pro-life movement in your state is up against. Yeah, New York is a, a radical extremist abortion state. In 2019, uh, the state legislature passed the uh, Reproductive Health Act, which stated that uh, abortion is a fundamental right uh, in New York, that abortion is legal all nine months of pregnancy. So in the later months, uh, as long as the doctor or the mother could say that it's necessary to preserve life or health, then abortion could be permitted all the way up to preg uh uh, birth. And then also that law allowed for non-doctors uh, to perform abortions. So we have a, a very democratically controlled government here in the state. And what we as New Yorkers need to do is to get the right pro-life people elected to repeal the Reproductive Health Act so we could enforce and have passed some laws that would protect children. Amen. I hope that that happens soon. We need more pro-life leaders there. Uh, how can we pray for you, Father? Do you have any spiritual advice for us in the pro-life movement, especially now with Roe versus Wade overturned? You know, we're going to have more opportunities to save babies. Well, of course, in terms of prayer, one of the best prayers, aside from the holy sacrifice of the Mass, is the Holy Rosary. And that's what we always pray when we go to these abortion places. Uh, because we're asking Our Lady to fulfill her providential role that God gave her in history uh, to crush the head of Satan. Mm -hmm. And the, the clearest manifestation of evil in the world today is legalized abortion. So pray the rosary. And then also we need to grow in the virtue of charity. Authentic love is always willing to sacrifice. And each of us need to ask ourselves every day, what am I willing to sacrifice to show true love to the mothers and their children who are at risk from abortion? Hmm. Father, your witness is courageous and very beautiful. We'll be praying for you and for everybody in Thank New you. York fighting for life. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too. Coming up, the Biden administration knows no bounds when it comes to abortion. They're even trying to force health care providers to provide abortions regardless of state law. I speak out. Plus, we take a look at this year's Biking for Babies initiative, which seeks to raise funds for pro-life pregnancy centers. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. President Biden's government is betraying founding principles of our nation with their attempts to continue killing unborn children via abortions. That is this week's Speak Out segment. 
This week, we want to address the fact that the current administration is literally trying to force all of the American people to abide by what they believe. And what they believe is that people should have the express right to kill their healthy children within the first nine months of their life. The Pentagon wants military women to have abortions so they can continue their service instead of raising their babies. The administration is essentially forcing all hospitals to perform abortions in, quote, emergency situations. The Department of Justice, which is supposed to be the office chiefly responsible for enforcing American laws, said they, quote, strongly disagree with the fact that now about half of the states want to enact laws that protect babies from death by abortion. Where is the justice here? Did the government miss the memo that the majority of Americans, including most women, want limits on abortion? Do they need a science lesson about when human life begins? Because there's a very simple answer, and we know plenty of board-certified doctors who could explain it to them. But this administration won't listen to reason. The truth is they are working in lockstep with the abortion lobby, which paid to elect them, and now they're making good on their promise to fulfill every wish of pro-abortion people, even at the expense of principles deeply rooted in our nation's history, and even the expense of unborn babies themselves. Biking for Babies is a pro-life organization made up of missionary cyclists who seek to raise awareness about abortion. Their mission is to provide hope in crisis situations and renew the culture of life in our country. Each year, hundreds of missionaries gather together for the week-long national ride where each participant raises funds for pro-life pregnancy centers. This year's event takes place from July 10th to the 16th. We spoke to the executive director and the director of mission advancement last week. This is what they said. Joining me now from Biking for Babies is Executive Director Nikki Beese and Chris Massaro, Director of Mission Advancement. Thank you both for joining me. Nikki, tell us about the mission of Biking for Babies and how your group got its start. Absolutely. So our mission is to renew the culture of life, one pedal stroke and one pregnancy resource center at a time. We were founded in 2009 by two young college-age men who were looking for a way to put their pro-life beliefs into action. And so they actually were triathletes and they did what they knew best. They picked up their bikes and biked over 600 miles across Illinois that first year to raise uh, financial support and awareness for a local pregnancy resource center. They really just wanted to help moms in their community. And what they were able to do was raise $14,000 for Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center. Mm, that's wonderful. And I understand that this week, one of your national rides is taking place and the finish line is here in DC. Chris, could you tell us about what a national ride looks like? Sure. Yeah, we split our, our young adult missionaries. So between the ages of 18 and 39, all of our young adults come from that age demographic. And we split them into different teams and they bike across different regions of the country, covering about six to 700 miles in six days. And they evangelize people along the way, wearing those yellow jerseys, which are it's hanging behind me right there. So they have lots of interactions, sharing the gospel of life, talking about pregnancy resource centers spontaneously on trails and at parks and gas stations, but also in organized events in the different cities that they pass through. So this year we have six different teams biking six different routes, and one of those goes from Columbus, Ohio, to Washington, D.C., slash Arlington, Virginia, and they all take place during the same week. That's great. And, Nikki, you know, this is such a cool concept, I think one that, you know, has never been done before by any other group. Talk to us about how unique the mission of Biking for Babies is, and what do you want people to know who might be interested in joining? What should they be hearing? 
Absolutely. So Biking for Babies was founded in response to St. John Paul II's exhortation, woe to you if you do not succeed in defending life. And when I talk about these young guys looking for a way to put their pro-life beliefs into action, truly uh, the bicycle is the vehicle for that. And it really allows us to, in a really non-confrontational non way, share the beauty and the gift of every life. And, and we do that by sharing the stories that we hear from our Pregnancy Resource Center partners. So uh, for those who are interested in, in learning more about us, head to our website, bikingforbabies.com. We, we give young people the opportunity to really um, share their, their beliefs and, and the response that we believe is so vital in the culture, which is um, faith, hope, and love to these women who are in crisis. And this year, we're actually partnering with 57 pregnancy resource centers from across the country. And um, this opportunity just allows us to support them. So truly we're received so well when we come into towns and people are excited to hear about us because mm -hmm. they see that we are trying to do something and just really starting a conversation and offering a moment of conversion for people to really say, wow, how can I help with this? Can I partner with my local pregnancy resource center or volunteer there or donate to Biking for Babies so that uh, we can then provide that much more for these mamas and the babies in need. Right, that's a remarkable footprint that you guys are making. And Chris, Nikki just spoke about this a little bit. Tell me about how missionaries at Biking for Babies partner with pregnancy centers to help to help moms that are in need. Sure. So we take each each young adult missionary and we pair them with a specific pregnancy resource center, ideally in the same local community, and for the sake of building relationship between the two. So that the pregnancy resource center has a chance to form this young adult by showing them face to face what we can offer to pregnant mothers who are in crisis and to families who need help. So it gives an idea of like what kind of culture we need to actually support them when they're facing unplanned pregnancies. And in return for that formation that this young adult receives from the pregnancy center, the young adult turns around and, and shares the work of the pregnancy center. Like Nikki said, sharing the stories of the women that have been helped and the babies that have been saved. So they share that in conversation with friends and family and colleagues at work, or they give talks at churches, whatever it may be. And as they speak and as they share that, they, they raise money as well for the sake of the pregnancy centers. And then the, the part that really often gets lost a lot of times is the redemptive suffering component. So our missionaries will cycle hundreds of miles, and that actually is very uncomfortable often. And so they're offering that sacrifice combined with prayer while they're on the bike for hours on end in service of, of pregnant mothers, and they unite it to the cross for the sake of really an outpouring of grace upon them. Mm. Well, I love your comprehensive mission, and I'm so thankful for the work that you guys do. Good luck to all of your riders. We'll be praying for you. Chris Massaro and Nikki Beast of Biking for Babies. Thank you, Prudence. Thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.